0: with Father Spitzer's universe at the busy intersection where faith and reason meet, collide, and uh, I'm Doug Keck, the gatekeeper here, where it all began in Irondale, Alabama, thanks to our foundress, Mother Angelica. Of course, email your questions to us at spitzersuniverse at ew10.com. You're a big part of the show, especially this kind of a program. Check out all the Father Spitzer's websites. There's the magiccenter.com website, and the purposefuluniverse.com and spitzercenter.org as well and of course spitzer's universe is always available our program is on our youtube channel and more specifically on our ewtn on demand page and during this year of eucharistic revival be sure to check out all of our programs on the eucharist near and dear to mother's hearts you can view father wade's program in defense of the eucharist He's always very popular. Father Wade covers topics such as the Eucharist miracles, Eucharistic miracles, and also Eucharistic adoration. And you can see it for free and on demand 24 7. Did I mention it was free? And today we are answering your questions, and there's only one way you can do that. We have to turn to their answer man. Of course, it's our own Father Spitzer, uh, A.K.A. <laughs> Father Universe. Apparently, now is uh, now Father Universe, as we as we call him. So, Father, if you'd like to kick off this program uh, with a prayer, that'd be great. <laughs>
1: Absolutely. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. Heavenly Father, we give you thanks for your many blessings to us, the blessing especially of this ministry and our ability to serve in it. We ask you to send your Holy Spirit down upon us now, Doug, myself, our audience, and our team, so that everything we do and say will be brought to fruition in your will, for the good of your people, your church, and your kingdom. We ask all of these things through Jesus our Lord. Amen. Amen and merry seat of wisdom pray amen. for us. Father and Son and Holy Spirit, Amen.
0: Well, let me ask you, Father, a couple, a couple of things before we get to some of the questions. One of the things that just struck me sure. even uh, while I was introducing the program, uh, you know, as we do each week, you know, there's the Magic Center site and the Purposeful Universe, and why are there three different ones, and how do you differentiate them for our audience? Well, um,
1: basically, the Maja Center is our big overall umbrella uh, website. So we have pretty much everything uh, running through that website. Um, And so we, um, with Maja Center, you can get material from Purposeful Universe. You can also get uh, material from, you know, Spitzer Center as well. All of these things are there. Uh, But our Maja Center um, website is really trying um, not only uh, to give our teachers uh... something and our mm-hmm. clergy uh... something uh, certainly that's a primary objective is to reach teachers to reach uh, pastors and priests and mm-hmm. and so forth but also we want to give the general public a huge uh... broad swath not only of faith and science but also for um, what we call moral apologetics Uh, that's what we're doing in the moral wisdom of the catholic church we also want to uh, to give them evidence of jesus um, especially uh, even the new uh, scientific evidence from the shroud eucharistic miracles things of that nature so we have a a very broad swath uh, that we're trying to reach with that one purposeful universe uh, really is uh, oriented toward, um, you know, uh, what we might call uh, people on the edge. Mm-hmm. They, um, you know, they don't have a lot of faith. They're probably not going uh, to church, but they are surfing the Internet, and they're asking questions. They're seeking, they're searching, and so Purposeful Universe is sort of directed toward mm-hmm. them, a kind of a halfway house uh, sort of um, uh, website that, you know, is not, you know, too... Um, you know, um, uh, you know, doctrinaire, but uh, is really trying to show them the reasonability of God, the reasonability of Jesus, the soul, and the afterlife, mm-hmm. okay. uh, things of that nature. Then uh, the Spitzer Center one is oriented uh, at certainly uh, for clergy and and has um, as its orientation clergy but also on the Spencer center uh, website we we are looking to to do organizational change leadership kinds of mm-hmm. things as well so we've got a, a sort of a double orientation but as I said if you want everything you can just go to module and you can see that we have our Institute for clergy we've got our Institute for uh, not our institute but our, our our group for clergy our our um, you know landing page for um, uh, the um, teachers and for the catechists, we've got a landing page for the uh, uh, you know general populace. You know, we're we're trying to give information on every kind of level. Mm-hmm. All of our resources are there as well. Mm-hmm. The big uh, book we used to call it, which right, is right, you know now right. called Father Spitzer's Resource Book and things of that nature. So, but our real appeal though is we want kids to be looking at that website too. Mm-hmm. We want teachers. We want clergy. We want. Uh, everybody to be looking we've got a lot of things free of charge for teachers like our uh, seven essential modules Mm -hmm. for example you can uh, just go in there all you have to do is just put in your um, website and we can send you how to you know the, all these modules. You can download them free of charge uh, and use them. We have all kinds of other free materials. Father Spencer's resource book uh, has so you know uh, it's almost two thousand pages long, very footnoted, uh, very scholarly. But the reason that it's there is to give people a free resource again in all of these areas. It's not just faith and science. It's not just happiness and suffering. It's not just uh, Jesus and and moral apologetics. It is. Ecclesiology, its sacraments—it's mm-hmm. basically trying to give an apologetic of the entire catechism mm-hmm. of the Catholic Church, and that's all free of charge. Um, you know, it's a 20-volume deal there, and you can uh, see that. Um, also, um, you know, there's a, uh, you know a variety of other mm-hmm. um, resources that are there. Uh, of course, our bookstore is there too. You can uh, order books, and you can also order um, you know. Uh, 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 videos that we we charge for simply because uh... you know they're so much expensive and mm-hmm. ex- it's so much expensive producing them so basically all of those things are available right. on dot com and that's our main one but uh, like i said if you know mm-hmm. people who are kind of needing a halfway house they don't and you don't want to say anything about Catholic Church yet or sacraments mm-hmm. or something, just not there, or scripture or something, they got almost intimidated, uh, then go send them mm-hmm. off to PurposefulUniverse.com where you can get your basic Harvard wow. professors and your basic, uh, you know, um, uh uh, you know, science uh, professors uh, that are talking about um, their own faith or the evidence for God uh, from science, et cetera. And if you know people who are really, you know, uh, clergy-oriented or organizational leaders, send them to spitzercenter.org. Mm-hmm. And um, uh, you can get them, you know, and, um, okay. you know, there because those are oriented, yeah.
0: Okay, great. So uh, besides doing that and, and the last couple of books that, that have come out, including the one on Scripture, <laughs> what are you what are you working on?
1: Well, I'm working on four things right now. Um, uh, one of the creative books. Um, I'm working on two big creative books. I've got a popular happiness book uh, that I'm going to be publishing with Sophia uh, mm-hmm. Press um, very shortly. Um, that should be coming out in April, and then through OSV, probably somewhere in July or something, I will be doing my um, uh, Science, Reason, and Faith, um, you know, uh, uh, Bible. Mm-hmm. So it's a, it's basically a uh, you know, a faith and reason Bible, but we call it a science, reason, and faith study Bible. So I'll be putting that out. I'm just putting the finishing touches mm-hmm. on that as well. Uh, then those are two creative projects. In terms of disseminating my materials, obviously high school and middle schools are are huge, huge, most important um, influence. So uh, I'm basically out on the road talking with science teachers. So, if any of you out there are um, science teachers, uh, if you wouldn't mind uh, talking to your diocese to have me come in uh, with Sophia Institute for Teachers. So, we work with Sophia Institute for Teachers. Mm. If you would want me to come in and give your teachers a talk about our a new um, curriculum for mm-hmm. Um, uh, science, uh, uh, I mean, for, um, uh, it's basically a senior year elective religion course or theology course. If you've got a senior year uh, theology course and an elective, uh, please consider the Catholic faith and science. It really is an excellent thing. We, the, the schools that are using it, the kids Really do mm-hmm. it turns their faith around. It really helps them to be strong believers. But most importantly, they'll become our future evangelizers uh, when they get into college and in their senior right. year of high school, uh, they're, they're going to be the parish right. leaders, etc So well, me, I'm really out there right. trying to do those uh, those right. talks with the science. Well, uh, don't. I t- mean, with the um, religion teachers about don't the get yourself
0: science. too worn down. You know, that's why you got a television show. You can re- yeah. speak to the world yeah. without. Uh, <laughs> going right, very far. Right. The other thing I was going to ask you though because in a <laughs> yeah. recent program I think it was back in January we even talked about the idea that you know at 13 years old you brought up is, is like seems to be the key point yeah. that uh, that people are making yeah. faith decisions but even what you just talked about is something that really happens a few years later uh, so are you working yeah. on anything that kind of targets what would be like a freshman yeah. year or an eighth grade kind of thing?
1: Uh, absolutely in fact we have a curriculum again With Sophia Institute for Teachers called Speak the Faith. Mm -hmm. It's for middle school students, but it could be used with ninth grade students. We put it together so that if in a middle school, uh, obviously you can use Speak the Faith for any religion class in middle school and ninth grade. Mm-hmm. That you could use the lessons or you could use the whole thing. But we also put it together as a public speaking course because so many middle schools have a public speaking uh, requirement mm. and you could actually use all of our apologetical uh, material to do the speech course and have the ch- the kids actually giving talks on these oh, areas, neat. And there's, as you know, no better way to to learn something than to teach it or to speak about it. So um, so it's called speak the faith. If you just go to Sophia Institute for Teachers and look up Father Spitzer. Um, uh, Catholic mm-hmm. Faith and Society, just Father Spitzer. Uh, right. It's right there on the front page, and you can see the senior year elective and the middle school curriculum. Okay. So um, uh, thank you, Doug, for asking. Yeah, because, great. Yeah, I, just was uh, thinking, I think it can
0: do yeah. a lot of good. Yeah. Okay, perfect. Yeah. Let's get to some of the questions that our viewers have for you, Father. So first up, dear Father Spitzer, right. if someone hurts me and I tell someone else about the experience, am I committing a sin? Would it be considered gossiping or sharing another's false? And this is Louise. I know sometimes they talk about things like detraction or something. Is mm-hmm. Another thing that's
1: yeah, in there, yeah. Right? Well, Louise, here's the thing: if if somebody hurts you, um, and you have a confidant who you know is not just going to spread the word, mm-hmm. but you just got to blow off some steam, uh, you go ahead and blow off some steam. I mean, uh, because you know we can't hold all of these things in in. Uh, to us, but you you need to sort of say, you know, uh, I, I say this confidentially, I just got to blow off some steam. I don't really want to harm this person's reputation. Right. However, if you are you know sort of saying, well, you know what this person did to me' and your intention is really to undermine them, to detract uh, from their reputation, et cetera, et cetera, Uh, that that really would be gossip, and I I wouldn't do that. I I really wouldn't. It it doesn't do any good. I know I've done it before in my own life, but I certainly don't... uh, think of it as a, a laudatory act. It, it right. you know, it's uh, definitely worthy of well, confession I, because I feel do, bad if I'm right. well, I do even appre- if it's a payback.
0: I do appreciate you no longer saying those things about me. So that's very nice that uh, they decided <laughs>
1: <laughs> <laughs>
0: to keep those things Nah-nah. private. <laughs> <laughs> I would never do that to you. <laughs> Here's another question, dear, dear Father Spitzer. In the story of Noah in Genesis, chapter 6, God says of mankind, and I quote, I regret that I made them, end quote. How can God regret what he has done when he knows ahead of time what the outcome will be? Isn't it the same as God saying he made a mistake? I watch your show all the time and get much knowledge from it. This is from Jeanette. Jeanette, well,
1: um, I have to give you a distinction. Uh, from um, uh, Joseph Ratzinger, who, of course, became Pope Benedict. And what Pope Benedict says, you know, when we're dealing with the Old Testament, right, um, there's two parts to every line of Scripture uh, in the Old Testament. The first is what he would call the inerrant core mm-hmm. right the inerrant revealed core that's the inspired part of the scriptural statement right and and he says if it's if it's inspired by the Holy Spirit then it is inerrant but everything in the Old Testament is not inerrant What Ratzinger says, there's a second part of every scriptural statement. And he calls it the external form of the expression. He says it's like you have a core and then you've got a rind or a a skin like in a fruit, you know, or a nut, you've got a a shell uh, Mm -hmm. that's around it. And he says now this external form of the expression, this sort of shell, he says that can be very human. And what he means by it being human is that uh, in the Catholic Church, um, we, we don't have what's called the dictation view of inspiration. The dictation view of inspiration would be God coming to the biblical author and going, Take down exactly what I say, Mm -hmm. and here it is, A, B, C, and D. Now, that we do not hold, and we've never held that. Certainly from the time of St. Augustine, we've never held that. Um, It's been very explicit in the works of Augustine. We have what's called the co-participative view of inspiration. This is where God comes to the biblical author, Mm -hmm. and in coming to the biblical author, He inspires the biblical author. Gives them what Pope Pius XII called the truths needed for salvation, the sacred truths needed for salvation, the inerrant part of Scripture. But because he's choosing the um, the biblical author, the biblical author is going to put that truth that he's been the sacred truth needed for salvation, right? He's going to put it into his categories. And his categories and his his uh, what we call Weltanschauung, his Mm -hmm. worldview, Mm -hmm. right, is very much conditioned by his culture and conditioned by his time. We don't expect, for example, the biblical author to know science because he didn't know science. Now if you have the co-participative view of inspiration, then the biblical author is going to put his Sacred truths needed for salvation into his time and his culture's category. Now, if if we take that for a second and we look at Genesis one or or something like that, um, you know, clearly, uh, you know, the idea of a day or something to demarcate an an uh, an epoch, uh, of course, is not going to be scientifically laudable. But Pope Pius XII says, "Don't worry about that. That's just." the external form of the expression that's the human being's participation in this inspired text and the human being at the end of the day mm-hmm. says it in his way in his categories but it's not inerrant and it is subject to change as the as they say as the world progresses in knowledge and so forth mm-hmm. so for example what is the then the truths that are needed for salvation that the biblical author was inspired to say in his six days of creation, the seventh day God rests. Number one, there is but one God, only one God, not many gods. Remember the biblical author in the fifth and sixth century B.C., right, he's basically worried about these rival myths like Enuma Elish and Atrahasis and Gilgamesh, mm-hmm. and so he's worried about these things, right, and so he's he's got, you know, many gods and rival gods are battling around, and he says, all of this is nonsense. Mm-hmm. There's but one God. Then he, the uh, second thing is he says, there's but one God, and that one God is you know everything else after that one God is all His creation, mm-hmm. so there's no sea gods and mountain gods and tree gods, etc. The third thing, right, is that human beings are made in the very image and likeness of God. So what's in Gilgamesh and Enuma Elish, right? All these gods are you know using human beings as chess pieces on the board, as cannon fodder to have play games with, and so mm-hmm. forth. The biblical is you, no, know, no, no, it's nothing like that at all. God actually made you in his own image and likeness. He, you know, very much loves you, very much respect, would never be playing, would never be unjust etc, <coughs> etc. Cetera, et cetera. This is not, you know, any kind of unjust kind of gameplay. And then finally, of course, matter is good. Matter's not a bad thing right? God looks back on his Creator creation, he says, he, he notices, right, he sees that it is good. All right, so you you look at this and go, are these truths necessary for salvation? They certainly are necessary for salvation. However, do we have to demarcate the epochs of the early universe in terms of a day? No, we don't. That's properly said St. Pius XII, He's, I mean Pope Pius XII, mm-hmm. he says that's basic. it's definitely something that is a human, right, the biblical author's participation. He DIDN'T MEAN TO BE DOING uh, SCIENTIFIC THINGS, HE'S NOT SPEAKING SCIENTIFIC THINGS. OKAY, LET'S GET TO YOUR QUESTION ABOUT NOAH NOW, Mm -hmm. uh, NOW THAT WE SAY THAT. OKAY, SO GOD SAYS, I REGRET EVER HAVING MADE uh, MAN. Well, that's not the inerrant part, you know, so Joseph Ratzinger would say, okay, that's not the inerrant part of of this scriptural statement, mm-hmm. that God uh, would regret creating man. Now, could God, you know, think, well, human beings are, certainly have reached the lowest level here, mm-hmm. and, and uh, I regret that they have reached the lowest level? Yes, mm-hmm. that would be the inspired part of his, um, Uh, statement there. However, the idea of, you know, um Um, I regret it. In other words, I regret my creation as if he couldn't foresee this or, you know, he Mm -hmm. had a change of mood. That is the biblical author's interpretation of it. It's his external form of the expression of God's, as it were, disappointment for human beings reaching this low level. But Mm -hmm. obviously, he does not want to kill off Um, you know, as it were, um, Mm -hmm. uh, human beings in a a moment of regret or unanticipation. uh, That's the biblical author, right? Fifth and Mm -hmm. century B.C. It's the same way with scientific truths, right? The whole idea, you know, that um, the universe uh, is is 6,000 years old is certainly and now we mm-hmm. have so much evidence to the contrary, um, you know, that uh, uh, the universe, uh, you know, if you just take the Planck satellite, the WMAP satellite, mm-hmm. COBE satellites one and two, the survey, uh, you know, um, uh, Hubble survey of the universe, uh, and you take the, the redshifting uh, of the universe and a billion other pieces of convergent data that come together, uh, the, thir- the, the universe is almost assuredly, from a scientific point of view, 13.8 billion years old, plus or minus 100 million years. So, I mean, you, you look at then you go, okay, should mm-hmm. we shift this back to six? Of course not. That was the biblical author's contribution. Now says Ratzinger at the end of the day, he says, okay, so how can we be so sure of what then is inerrant and what is not inerrant? in the scriptural statements. How can we be so sure that we're right when we make a statement, this part's hmm. in, inerrant, and this part's not inerrant? And he says, there's only one way. No theologian can do this. No hermeneutical set of rules can do this, etc., etc. At the end of the day, it must come down to the Catholic Church. It must come down <clears throat> to an inspired body that has been designated by Jesus as his official spokesman That the Holy Spirit has been promised to, and that he is, that that institution Mm -hmm. is speaking by the authority of Jesus himself given to Peter and to Peter's office. Mm -hmm. At the end of the day, that's the final authority about what is inerrant and what is not inerrant. What is the contribution of God? What is the contribution? of the biblical author, which is conditioned by time and culture, right, um, uh, in the Old Testament. In the New Testament, much easier job, Mm -hmm. because Jesus is the Son of God. It helps a whole lot. So of course, and then when they're giving eyewitness accounts, of course, uh, that's a very different Different um, uh, kind of an enterprise, but the Old Testament requires um, that kind of a judgment and that kind of
0: a distinction. So you're saying that Bishop Usher's 4004 B.C. was a little bit off then? He he wasn't quite
1: right? A little bit off, (laughs) very much a little bit off. Counting generations is probably not the most accurate way of doing an empirical mathematical explanation of the universe.
0: Yeah. Here's, here's a related question uh, dear father spitzer in mm-hmm. the book of genesis god has adam name all the animals as a sign of adam being over the animals however adam names eve too uh-huh. it surely can't mean the same thing because man and women have been created equal i don't understand what the naming of eve by adam means why didn't god name eve gabriella well uh, gabriella uh, naming
1: can show authority uh, over the animals, and certainly the idea of naming uh, had that um, you know viewpoint, but it need not be so. Mm-hmm. Uh, I mean, in in the case when Jesus changes Peter's name for example. um, uh, Clearly, he could have done that uh, in order to show his authority over Peter, but that's not why he renames Peter. Uh, I mean, uh, what that naming means is, I'm reconfiguring your identity. I want you to see now, you're not just Cephas. I mean, you're not just Simon. You are Cephas, right, in in the Aramaic. Uh You are Uh, Peter, the rock, right? You are the one that's going to be the foundation stone of my church. Now, he's doing this not to show authority over Peter, though, you know, a parent has a right to to name uh, their child and somebody who has significant Um, uh, respect in the life of another person, somebody who has a significant kind of authority can rename a human being, but not to prove that they're superior over them. Mm -hmm. Uh, You could just do that to readjust the identity, right? So you could do that. So uh, you could say, well, Eve, she is... You know, flesh of my flesh and bone of my bones, right? She's, uh, you know, she's she's complementary and she is at the same time of my substance, mm-hmm. which means we're equal. So it, all it can mean is a formal declaration. Mm-hmm. That's all it means. And Adam... He can name, he can make a formal declaration of who he considers Eve to be. Mm-hmm. And he doesn't say, I'm a, I have an authority uh, over her and I'm her superior. He says, you're flesh of my flesh, you know, you're bone of my bone, right, of course, and because she's taken from him and from his substance, which, of course, is a statement of fundamental equality. Mm-hmm. So, um, complementarity nonetheless, mm-hmm. because women are different from men in many ways, but fundamentally equal.
0: Right. Okay, very good. <clears throat> Next up, Dear Father Spitzer, I recently came across the recommendation by a priest to spend time in prayer by simply thinking of nothing. What are your thoughts on this method and wonder if it is even possible to think of nothing? I found it hard to do. Thanks for your help. Tom.
1: Well, Tom, <clears throat> uh, I'm not sure what that priest was getting at. Um, you know, much as I, you know, some of the mystics Bye. tried to orient themselves away from discursive prayer prayer, uh, using words, uh, vocal prayer, and orient themselves toward mental prayer. And sometimes in mental prayer, what we try to do is get away from our ideas so that we can be an open conduit to God in love, uh, an open receiver of God's love. But I I have to say that normally in the mystical life, this is a much later stage. So, uh, you know, what maybe he's talking about is the unitive stage of prayer, which is the third stage. But there's a purgative uh, 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 stage of prayer, there's um, an illuminative one and a unitive one. And the main thing is, of course, the unitive one is when St. Teresa Uh, just uh, kind of gazes up to heaven and opens herself Mm. uh, to the Lord. Uh, Maybe she used words, maybe she didn't. But when Mm. she's opened herself up to the Lord, he's filling her so much, it's like beyond words. Now, is this going to be the kind of thing that you would do as a starter, Uh, you know, um, in prayer? Absolutely not, from my point of view. I would not say this is the correct way. What you want to do is just go through the stages. So vocal prayer is a very good way to start. And then, you know, as you move from vocal prayer, you can move to what St. Teresa of Avila would call a conversation. Still vocal, but it's a conversation with the one you love. So it's not what like one of these, uh, like a Hail Mary or a Rosary or an Our Father. Now you're just addressing the Lord in conversation. Like caviar, maybe, and Fiddler on the roof there. but you're talking with right. him, and you're, um, you know, uh, uh, basically kind of opening yourself to what he says and opening yourself to his spirit. But you know, to this day, I still say my rosary in the morning. Mm-hmm. And I, why do I do it? Because it opens me right. to God. It connects me every time I say, "And our Father, just our Father, or Hallowed be Thy Name." I'm zinging off and connecting with him. Him and being with right. Him, the same with the Hail Marys. I'm being, I'm connecting, oh, my Jesus, I'm connecting right there and so forth. So rosary is a very good way to do this, and you just stick with that. But remember, when you're starting, one thing you want to do is connect with the Lord, right. connect with the Blessed Virgin, connect with Jesus. So,
0: um, you know, just do be really think,
1: conscious, I'm right, talking.
0: Right. You, you think, I'm sorry, Father, sometimes you hear this thing, you wonder whether this is kind of a little bit of this Eastern kind of emptying oneself kind of thing uh, that comes from mm-hmm. a more mm-hmm. kind of a Zen kind of approach yeah. to these things that kind of impact sometimes when people are talking about yeah. prayer. Well, um, Zen and also
1: some Eastern Buddhist approaches mm. uh, do emphasize the emptying of the mind. Mm. Uh, Christians have really never done this. Uh, What what we're doing is we're actually opening ourselves to God. So we don't intentionally empty our minds uh, as Christians. What we do is we try to sort of open ourselves so completely to God and to receiving His love, to receiving His inspiration, to receiving his uh, you know, guiding insight and so forth. We're opening ourselves so much to him. We're trying not to get distracted by this idea right. or that idea and so forth and so on. Really but can you use pictures when you start getting started? Maybe a Sacred Heart picture there Absolutely. or something like that? Or you know, I always have the face of Jesus from the Shroud of Turin that I used to use before I went blind, and that's always mm-hmm. a really good one, um, so I've always I'm used those sure. uh, so that's imprinted uh, of in your mind,
0: right? I'm sure it's imprinted in your mind. Oh, it now, is right?
1: now imprinted in my mind. Absolutely. I've seen it so many times. Okay. <laughs>
0: yeah, absolutely. So, uh, so with no that,
1: problem there. Right. But absolutely. so, but yeah, you.
0: I would say that's not. Yeah, a Yeah, I think calming your mind about. so that you can hear the hear our Lord speaking to you is a little different than emptying it. Yep. So, with that being said, we're going to take a break. Much more ahead with Father Spencer answering your questions right after this. Stay with us. Welcome back to Father Spitzer's Universe for the second part. We thank you for staying with us as we answer your questions sent to us by you, our loyal viewers here. And we get right back to them with uh, Father Spitzer. Are you ready? Okay, I think you, you yeah. look you're quite ready. <laughs> so, dear Father Spitzer. <laughs> Uh, We recently celebrated the Feast of the Holy Innocents, so that's going back into December. If all of these babies went to heaven after Jesus died and resurrected, why doesn't the Catholic Church have the same celebration for all aborted or miscarried babies instead of saying that we don't know, and it's, quote-unquote, in God's hands? The Holy Innocents were not baptized similar to aborted or miscarried babies. And this is from Raymond. Well,
1: Raymond, um, as far as I'm concerned, we do know. Mm -hmm. And... uh, You know, I'm not sure what documents you're reading there, uh, but the Catholic Church does not uh, talk about limbo uh, per se anymore, certainly not as a doctrine. So, I mean, if, uh, you know, um, even though this baby was, uh, you know, um, you know, martyred, as I would put it, mm-hmm. you know, any martyr goes to heaven and the Ch- Catholic Church has taught this since time immemorial. Mm-hmm. So you look at the an aborted baby, you know, and I would just say, well, that, um, uh, you know, that that uh, uh, baby, as far as I am concerned, is an innocent. Right. And of course, he was killed as an innocent. And he was unjustly or she was unjustly killed as an innocent. And there is not a thing in the world that would prevent uh, him culpably or inculpably from inheriting the fullness of the kingdom of God. And so I think uh, bammo. They are definitely transported into the heavenly kingdom where God will love them um you know uh, as he loves all of us in the fullness of beatitude so um, i do think you know i have seen Mm -hmm. in many cases of miscarriage um, like uh, for example in colton burpo's case remember that uh, uh, heaven is for real um, uh, there are many cases where a young child Mm -hmm. uh, for example uh, died from miscarriage Uh, in the case of uh, colton burpo in heaven is for real When he was four years old, he he did have a heart attack there. He went to heaven, and uh, when he's in heaven, uh, he, you know, this girl comes up to him um, and uh, gives him a big hug and says, hi, I'm your sister. Mm -hmm. And he goes, well, you're not my sister, you know, my sister is uh, not in heaven. And she goes, no, I'm your other sister, Mm -hmm. and I died in mommy's tummy when I Was only two months old. And I've been, you know, growing up here in heaven. And he goes, well, what's your name? And he goes, she goes, well, I don't have a name yet because mommy and daddy didn't know whether I was a boy or a girl. So Colton goes back, and of course, uh, he blurts out to his mom one day, well, I I met my other sister. And she goes, oh, don't be silly. Your sister's right here, you know. and meet your other sister in heaven. And he goes, oh, yes, I did. And she goes, well, what was um, her name? And he says, well, um, she died in your tummy when she was only two months old, and you and Daddy didn't know whether she was a boy or a girl, so you didn't name her. And that is exactly the conversation that she had had with her husband, you know, at the time of the miscarriage, and of course she was mind-blown by the very fact. Now why do I tell that? I tell that because there she is in heaven. She was unbaptized, of course, but she wasn't innocent. Mm -hmm. And of course as an innocent she didn't do anything uh, to deserve. Uh, you know, dying. I mean, her mother obviously didn't kill her, uh, um, you know, but uh, uh, miscarried her, and so I I have no trouble believing, as I've seen in hundreds of these cases, right, that uh, those little children go right Right. to heaven and they grow up in heaven, and they can actually come and introduce themselves to you when you get there.
0: Right, absolutely, and it's not the child's responsibility to get baptized, it's the parents' responsibility and the godparents' responsibility to get the kid baptized. And, and we're the ones who will yes. be held accountable whether that child was baptized. So Yeah, so, anyway. yeah. absolutely. Right. Dear Father Spitzer, I enjoy yes. watching your show every week. I'm Catholic and recently got out of the hospital where I was diagnosed with dementia. Well, that's horrible. I wanted oh, to boy. ask you how I can feel safe, happy, and free of fear when I often get so confused in my mind about basic things. Could you please remember me in your prayers? And this is Sheila.
1: Sheila, I will remember you in my prayers. And I've just got one little prayer for you. The only thing you got to keep straight, and that is, Lord Jesus, I place my trust in you. And included in that prayer is, of course, I just want you to use all of the things that are happening, all of my confusion, just use all of these things to get me into heaven and for offering, I'm going to offer these for all the other people I know who are out there, who just are wandering away from the church or maybe Mm -hmm. my family or my friends who need some petitions uh, fulfilled for them. I'm offering it all to you for their sake as well as my Mm -hmm. own salvation. So maybe I'll give you two prayers. Lord Jesus, I place my trust in you. And the second prayer is, Lord, I offer up all of these things I'm suffering from my dementia. I just offer right. them up uh, for um, all of my friends and my family members and, of course, for um, uh, my own salvation. Amen. Right. And believe but- me, the purgatory that will come off of your uh, life, if uh, I think, will be enormous if, if, I, if I have my uh, P's and Q's right. set out right.
0: Right, and, and obviously the family members who are going to be taking care of this person are going to need those prayers because it's, 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 you it's bet. horrible for the person, and it's very difficult for the people who are dealing with it to watch the person that they know and love kind you of bet. disappear in front of them in many ways. So,
1: That is correct.
0: Dear Father Spitzer, this was, uh, I guess, about a month ago. Happy New Year to you and Doug. My New Year's resolution is to defeat yeah. a long-running bad habit of mine. St. Paul talks about his spiritual battle saying, I do not do the good I want, but the evil I do not want is what I Mm -hmm. keep on doing. He tells us that he prayed a number Mm of times, asking God to remove that, quote-unquote, thorn in my flesh. Do these passages imply Mm -hmm. that Paul struggled with habitual sin or even some kind of addiction? Your thoughts, Daniel, and I know you have thoughts on this because you've mentioned it before. Yeah. Right. Right.
1: Yeah. Daniel, that passage from Romans is, uh, I mean, from... uh, um, uh, 2 Corinthians is a very good uh, passage. And, uh, but, um, you know, combined with Romans, you know, um, uh, I'm, I would say it this way. I don't think it's a habitual um, sin, but it might be. Uh, it, it could well be. But I really think the thorn in his flesh, as so you alluded to the 2 Corinthians passage, along with the Romans uh, passage, you know, I do not do what I would do. Um, and uh, the, the key thing, I think, is he was going blind. And I think his thorn in the flesh was blindness. Um, uh, The reason I think that is because uh, he feels very weak and, you know, um, very much um, oppressed by this um, uh, debilitation. And, um, well, the reason I think he was going blind was not just because of his experience of the risen Christ, right, though that Mm -hmm. might be the origin of it, but in Galatians, right, remember when he says, I know you'd take out your own eyes and give them to me if you could. Mm -hmm. Well, why would anyone want to do that? unless Paul's having an eye problem. And and of course, there are many other such. I'm writing this to you in big print. You know, this comes from me, but you know, my secretary's gonna be filling in. Well, why is Paul writing in big print? Because his readers are having problems seeing? I don't think so. I think Paul's having trouble uh, seeing, and then of course, he, he, remember that incident in the Acts of the Apostles, where Paul says, "What would you have of me, you whitewashed wall?" And then the priest, the chief <clears throat> priest attendant, says, "Is that any way to talk to the high priest?" And Paul basically says, whoa, uh, sorry, sir, didn't know you were the high priest. Mm -hmm. Now, Paul's a Pharisee, right? Mm -hmm. I mean, he could have recognized a high priest from 200 yards. How is it possible that he would not know that the high priest is talking to him? You know what I mean? And why does he call him a whitewashed wall? I remember the whitewashed wall stage when I was going blind. I remember it very well. And so I just have to tell you Hmm. that um, this sounds very familiar to me. It's the process of going blind. I think that Paul is saying to him, you know, oh, my gosh, you know, um, you know uh, please, Lord, you know, and he begs him three times, but, uh, but uh, the Lord tells him, no. You know, my grace is enough for you. And Paul then says, in my weakness is my strength, because as I grow weaker, Christ grows stronger in me. Now that's more the thorn in the flesh. Let me zip back to the Romans passage for one second, because that's a different passage with a different context. Because here Paul is talking about an act which he doesn't have any control over. Why do I do what I would not do? And why do I not Uh, Why do I do the evil I would not do? Why do I not do the good that I would do? What what a wretched man I am. Who will save me from this uh, flesh, this wretched body of mine? Thanks be to God for Christ Jesus our Lord. Now that one I do think. There's something going on in Paul. There's some kind of uh, maybe something bothering him, something that he's calling part of his flesh, which Mm -hmm. generally means some form of habitual sin. Doesn't necessarily mean a sin of the flesh. Flesh means sinfulness in general. It could be pride. It could be uh, Mm -hmm. maybe it is some sin in the flesh. He never reveals, Paul never reveals what it is, but something is clearly sinful, something is bothering him, and so he's basically, uh, you know, saying, gosh, you know, I'm having such a hard time dealing with it. I mean, boy, if it's pride, I sure understand that. If it's mm-hmm. impatience and anger, I sure understand that. You know, that that could be certainly the case, uh, you know, but maybe it was a, a something else, I do not know, but my presumption is, it's something like pride or mm-hmm. maybe impatience or something, because it's there. You can see it in the Acts of the Apostles where sometimes he gets uh, uh, ticked off at somebody. Mm-hmm. And so, um, you like know. Like Alexander the coppersmith,
0: some... who he wasn't particularly happy Yeah. Yeah.
1: Right, right. Or also, you know, let's face it, he's not too pleased with. Uh, a couple of his uh, companions right. on the road, either. I won't get into that. So You're the right. main thing, though, is is um, he probably is struggling with something like that. He can't overcome it. He thinks he's getting better. Then he falls back into it, and so he's begging the Lord. But that's at the end. It's very hopeful. Thanks be to God for our Lord Jesus right. Christ who will rescue me from this sinful and as I said, flesh means all of sinfulness, right? right? Well, it's you would sinful, think uh, at sinful attitude. pride
0: in being yeah. a Pharisee uh, probably go, went hand in hand quite a bit back then. So I think that
1: was probably <laughs> yeah, at least for
0: a lot of them. Ser- right. <laughs> yeah, yeah, Next yeah up, there's no doubt. <laughs> Dear Father Spitzer, why doesn't God create us right into heaven rather than giving humans a physical experience knowing so many will end up in hell? Brian. Well, Brian, here's the deal. God g- gave us free
1: choice. He wanted um, us to choose. Now, I, I just, I'm going to say something that's just kind of blunt here. But, you know, the reason that we have to choose is because if we don't have the choice to do unloving things, to do sinful things, to do even evil things, if we don't have the choice to do them then really we don't have the choice to do loving things we don't have the choice to do good things now of course if that would mean that our love is not our own they didn't it didn't originate from within us it didn't our good deeds are not our own they didn't come from within us we were programmed by god to do the good things so first of all then god has to give us choice to do evil now if he gives us choice to do evil Then, of course, he's got to let us choose it. He can't just go, oh, Spitzer's now going to choose evil. Quick, lobotomize him. Or quick, stop him from doing big wall in front of Spitzer and so forth and so on. No, he's got to let us actually do the thing. Now, you say to yourself, well, that would mean the prospect of hell. Yep, that means the prospect of hell. Not because God wants us to go to hell. But God, certainly, if we're going to choose uh, choose evil, 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 evil into eternity, God can't have us going to heaven because then we'll make everybody else's life in heaven a hell. So in other words, we, he can't let us over that border into heaven. Because then we'll do the usual egocentric, domineering, you know, uh, evil kinds of actions that we were doing on earth, we'll do them in heaven. Now, I know that seems sort of blunt, but really, you gotta consign people who want to do evil and want to perpetrate unloving things, who want to cause suffering to others, who want to dominate others and who want to become God for others, you got to separate them off into the territory uh, where they can be and do what they want to do. They want to do. They choose to do. So that's uh, uh, the dilemma that God has. Mm -hmm. If he makes us free, he's got to let us do evil things Mm -hmm. and even to choose evil things for an eternity, Mm -hmm. just as the angels did right to, to just say I'm uh, you know I, I don't want to have anything to do with you God I don't want to have anything to do with your goodness mm-hmm. don't want to have anything to do with your love and I, I'm not interested in loving anybody I'd rather be God for people I'd rather dominate people and I'd rather cause them to suffer because quite frankly I just love being in a position of power and even wretched hurtfulness you know towards somebody else well God's going to say mm-hmm. You know, I don't think Heaven is the right place for you. You'll spoil it for everybody. Let's think about another place where you can go where you'll be happier and be with your own kind. So God doesn't really, you know, He's not doing this to send people to hell, surely. He's doing this because he wants us to be free. He wants our love to be our own so that we can truly Mm -hmm. be the lovers we were meant to be in heaven. And, of course, to see and to appreciate people Mm -hmm. as they are and to have them see and appreciate us as we are, which brings about the true joy of heaven. I leave you with this one thought of Christ's true intention. I tell you all of these things that, in other words, love one another as I have loved you. I tell you all of these things that my joy may be yours and your joy may be complete. Mm -hmm. John 15, right? uh, 10 through 13. Just take a look at that um, in your Gospel of John
0: there. You know, Ryan me, I think even that. my life watching TV as a youth, the Twilight Zone, uh, where the guy was in love of the woman and she wasn't interested in all. He got a love potion so that she lo- was in love with him. And, you know, of course, it drove him crazy because she was in love with him, but he knew it had nothing to do with him and had nothing to do with her. It was, yeah. Uh, So there was no choice, so it didn't mean anything.
1: Pure pure manipulation, yeah. If we don't have the choice, we're just programmed robots uh, by God, and, uh, you know, He can program us to do loving behaviors, but it sure isn't love. It's just a bunch of programmed loving behaviors, and God wanted to create us in His own image and like this, not as loving behavior robots.
0: Yeah, (laughs) otherwise we just would be chess pieces like uh, for the Greek uh, gods. Yeah. So, dear Father yeah, Spitzer, exactly. exactly. When, G- when Jesus suffered and died on the cross, am I correct in thinking only his human nature suffered and died and not the divine person, Christian?
1: Well, um, well, the divine person is unified with his nature. So, in a sense, yes, he is suffering, but not the kind of physical suffering of a, of a human person. He, hmm. of course, um, you, know, you know, his, his personhood, you know, and I'll call it his self-consciousness, right which is a divine uh, self-consciousness right it it is in his human body Mm -hmm. so that when his physical body is feeling physical pain absolutely his divine personhood his self-consciousness is not only aware of that pain but aware of his awareness of that pain and in its divinity is divinely aware of that pain in his uh, physical body because uh, it is inseparable uh, from his physical body when he is incarnate um, in uh, in that physical body so when he comes when he incarnates himself remember his personhood is his self-consciousness right Mm. the divine nature is not what becomes human nature that's impossible that would be an infinite finite right Mm -hmm. which is a contradiction so we can't have the divine infinite nature become entering into a finite human nature duh that can't be Mm -hmm. so the so the then what is entering into human nature what's entering into human nature is his self-consciousness his self-awareness his self-awareness is the second person of the Trinity the beloved one is that that act of self-awareness is making In his divine nature, it's making an infinite use of his infinite divine nature and intelligence Mm. in his infinite nature. But when he enters into the human nature, his self-consciousness is only making use of his... Um, human nature, but of course at the same time he's both divine and human, right? He's, his self conscious is making use of both his divine nature and his human nature. But when he's in his human nature, oh yes, he feels that pain. Right. He's aware of that pain. He's self-conscious of that pain. And so, technically, uh, he is suffering in his divine personhood. He is certainly aware of the pain of his, of his human nature.
0: Yes. Right. Okay. Next up, uh, last couple of minutes here, Dear Father Spitzer, at the Annunciation, Mary said to the angel, My spirit rejoices in God, my Savior. Since she was immaculately conceived, why would she need the Lord as her Savior? Thank you for your and Doug's wonderful show uh, that I look forward to seeing every Saturday evening. Scott.
1: Well, well Scott, of course, uh, she's immaculately conceived, but she's immaculately conceived through her son's uh, future activities, hmm. which will uh, you know, be the ground of her immaculate conception. In other words, uh, you know, he's the savior of everybody, every human being, Mary's a human being. So, she, you know, her immaculate conception takes place through the future grace that her son will win. She needs a savior too. She needs her son too. Now you say, well, how can that happen since his salvific act is in the future? Remember what we've talked about before, if you've seen this program before, Mm -hmm. Uh, and that is, of course, that, um, you know, the eternal now. God's intelligence is not temporally sanctioned. It's not uh, separated off in what we call a a, a non-contemporaneous continuum. So a non-contemporaneous continuum has earlier and later divisions in it, right? So you only can have a non-continuous uh, continuum of earlier and later, if a divine mind that transcends time is holding together the earlier and later of the temporal sequence itself, even mm-hmm. in our universe as a whole. I wrote a whole doctoral dissertation on time, by the way, and uh, so I can uh, share that with you, uh, uh, Michigan Microfilms, but right. uh, the University of Michigan Microfilms. But the main thing uh, to, to notice is that once you have that non-contemporaneous continuum, Uh, that's held together by the eternal now. The eternal now is not subject to the time that um, He creates. Uh, You know, He he creates the time through being beyond time. So basically, God, the eternal now, for Him, you know, Christ's salvific act on Calvary is the same as Mary being born into the world, immaculately conceived, which is the same as the beginning of the whole universe itself, Um, you know, 13.8 billion years ago, et cetera, et cetera. It's all one eternal now moment. You go, well, wait a minute. What does that mean about our grasp of reality? Our grasp of reality is clearly inferior to God's. That's the problem, because we are subject uh, to that temporality. And therefore, our freedom is not predetermined by God's awareness of uh, what we call, um, you know, the, uh, uh, the, the foresight of the eternal now. So, um, I know it's a complicated thing to to realize, right. but just know this, God can definitely take the the, the the salvific benefits of what we think is the future and combine right. it through His eternal now into the present moment in which Mary is immaculately conceived. Sorry to make right. it complicated, but that, in fact, is what the church teaches. Well,
0: I can tell you, I had to experience of the eternal now when I first got that binder, which had that That dissertation or your thesis or whatever it was in there, and I realized there was no time. That was I had no time to figure out what you were writing about, and it would take an eternity for me to figure it out, and I still wouldn't understand. Which is why I said, you know, I'm going to do a different book interview, and I'm going to get him on a show where he can explain all these things to us. So if you'd like to give us your uh, your blessing on the way out the door, that would be great.
1: Absolutely, and bow your heads. Pray for God's blessing and may the Lord of all wisdom and the Lord of all uh, knowledge, the Lord of all power who is beyond all time continue to guide you, inspire you, and protect you in his love so that everything you do and say will lead not only to your salvation but the salvation of those you
0: touch. In the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, amen. 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 Thank you so much, as always, Father Spitzer. Be well. We shall see you next time. We'll also see all of you next time, we hope. And check out Father Spitzer's books and DVDs, naturally available through our EWTN religious catalog, EWTNRC.com, for all things Catholic. And next week, we'll return to the moral wisdom of the Catholic Church, so we look forward to you joining us for that. And don't forget about EWTN's bookmark. of, uh, each weekend on Sunday at ten A.M. Eastern. But don't forget, check us out on On Demand and on our YouTube channel as well. Many of our shows are posted way ahead of when they air on the network. Also, Father Spitzer's Universe is available in EW10's Podcast Central. And you can listen to Mother Angelica, Father Spitzer, so many great we call them the best of EW10 and the best of the rest. It's all free and available on EW10's Podcast Central. Stop by I think you'll be thrilled with what you get to hear. I'm Doug Keck. We'll see you next time right here in Father Spitzer's Universe. Be well.